C.S. Lewis, he said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. And, and I think that that's such an important truth. I grew up, you know, with Roy Rogers, and he's put it like this. Roy Rogers says, if you can do it, it ain't bragging. You know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that in the truest sense. We'll look at Daniel's life here. I'll read something to you in just a moment. You know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, I mean, he puts it into perspective. He says, and he, uh, speaking of God, gives grace generously, as the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen. In his book, Thriving on Babylon, Larry Osborne, he, he writes this, Biblical humility is not synonymous with low self-esteem. The Bible actually commands us to have an accurate assessment of our strengths and our weaknesses. We are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, and we are not to think more poorly of ourselves than we ought. Instead, we are to gauge our gifts, abilities, strengths, and weaknesses with sound and sober judgment. Jesus was humble, but he also had a rather high opinion of himself. He claimed to be God. I love that. Since humility isn't a lack of ambition, nor is it downplaying our accomplishments, biblical humility is willing to be overlooked. And we see that in Daniel's life. It doesn't insist on public honor or acknowledgement. It doesn't trumpet status or accomplishments in an unseemly manner. But that's not the same thing as hiding or artificially downplaying our successes. After all, the only reason we know all the great things that Daniel did is because he wrote a book and tells us about them. Apparently, it says God was good with it. He put it in the Bible. It's serving others at its core. Biblical humility is simply serving others by putting their needs and their interests above our own. It's treating others the same way that we'd treat them if they were someone important. In the book of Daniel, like I said, we can learn a lot about pride and humility just by studying, you know, here in chapter four, especially Nebuchadnezzar's pride and then ultimately the humility that followed it. And one of the things I want you to understand as we get into this, this is covering a, a snapshot of eight years, okay? This is an eight-year period of time. And so one of the things that comes up to me when I read through this is I see the long-suffering of God. I see the mercy of God. I see the grace of God that he demonstrated towards Nebuchadnezzar. And if he would do that for Nebuchadnezzar, would he do that for me? And would he do that for you? And the answer is what? Yes. God is not willing, church, that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And we need to understand that today and have that same heart when we think about thriving in Babylon and we think about the world in which we live in today, where, again, remember, you know, the ultimate end is that, as we see in the book of Revelation, you know, six times we see, you know, mentioned Babylon, and yet there's no, you know, revitalized city of Babylon. It's really, it's the spirit of Babylon that's been revitalized. And I've been sharing that with you, that I would move from, in Genesis chapter 3, from individual sin, the sin of Adam and Eve, to Genesis chapter 11, the corporate sin of Nimrod there in, in the plain of Shinar, where they established and built the city of Babylon, so that it was basically, it wasn't just individuals, standing against God. Because if you recall, Adam and Eve, you know, when, the, when the serpent tempted Eve, what did he tell her? He said, in the day that you eat this fruit, what would happen? You would be what? Like God. So there was something in Eve's heart that she loved, right? She's going, I, we would be like God if we, 
if we ate this, there was a love, you could say, for God that somehow in that, you know, convoluted, you know, temptation and, and deception there. But with Nimrod, it was just open rebellion against God. What it was was, we don't need God. We don't want God. We're all going to come together and we're going to build this tower up to the heavens ourselves, apart from God. And so, again, when we think of Babylon, it really it typifies a spirit that's anti-Christ, anti-God. And ultimately, as we saw in Babylon, it was God disciplining the nation of Israel by taking them away into captivity. But in the New Testament, we see that Babylon really is what it's about, the destruction or the seeking to destroy God's people. So it's always an attack against God, and it's always an attack against God's people. But in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, what we come to is the conclusion is what? That Babylon has fallen, that ultimately is what God is teaching us. And it's why Daniel had so much hope. Again, what did he believe? What did he know to be true? That God was sovereign. Not just a big theological word, but that God is in complete control, right? And what he says he's going to do. And in the end, what did he say? He would restore his people. He would resurrect his people. He would bring his people back. And what he promised then, he's still promising to do. That was the hope to the church there in, in Thessalonica, right? The dead in Christ will what? They'll rise first. So there was always this hope. And he said to encourage one another with that. And that's the same thing that we would want to do today as we study through this. And so, again, Daniel, when I look at, you know, his humility, you know, it's pretty obvious, you know, his captors were pretty wicked. We, we talked about that, right? The destruction that, that they had against humanity, the torture in which, you know, that they, again, and this is an attack against God himself. You know, if you can't get to God, then you go after the object of his love. And so to see how harsh they were towards people, I mean, the, the, like I said, to rip their lips off, you know, to pluck their eyes out, to, to rip out their entrails, you know, while they were alive. Just, again, just pure, pure torture. And yet it says that you know, Daniel, even though his, you know, his captors, and he served under two wicked kings, under King Darius, under King Nebuchadnezzar. And it says, but Daniel, because of his loyalty to the king, think about this, his loyalty to the king, it says he rises to these, these levels of prominence, of power. And you go, wow, how did he do that? You go, by keeping his eyes on the Lord, by being faithful to the things of God in his life. And so as he did that, like I said, the ultimate end, you know, we'll see here, you know, in, in chapter four, you know, I think a verse that comes to mind is, you know, the book of Proverbs and Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18, you know, as soon as I start to read it, you know it by heart, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Yeah. Always, always has, always will. So when you see these promotions about Pride Month. And again, and this, this isn't to, to make fun of what's taking place. It's sad. I mean, hopefully for me and you, we look at the same things that are taking place today in our world with regard to Pride Month and all the activities that take place there the same way that Jesus would look at the, the nation of, of Israel when he came into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey or when he goes into the, the, the temple and he, and he sees you know what's happening there. And it says in Jesus, what? He wept. Jesus wept. That we'd have that kind of a heart. That, that was the heart of, of Daniel. And we'll see this when we, we study his, God's word here. Babylon was a pretty amazing place at the time of Daniel's life. And yet, when I look at this, I think of something, I put this in my notes, you know, pride is the oldest sin 
in the universe. But even though it's the oldest sin in the universe, it hasn't aged at all. It's an ageless sin. It just continues. It's just like it just won't go away. I, I love what one author wrote. He said, it was pride that took Lucifer out of heaven. It was pride that took Adam out of paradise. It was pride that took Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, out of the kingdom. It was pride that took Haman out of, of the Persian court. It was the pride that changed angels into demons. It is the pride that changes friends into enemies. It's pride that ruins everything. And so as we look at this today, you know, it was pride that took Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, you know, out of Babylonian society. You know, C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, the chief cause of misery for every nation and every family since the beginning of time is pride. Pride. Pride always goes before a fall. And yet, when we look at chapter 4, there's something so amazing about this. Look there in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 37. I mean, at the end of this eight-year period, right, this, this time that takes place here, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. You can think, how did that happen? You go, did Daniel play a major role in that? You go, absolutely. Because what did he do? Daniel stood for truth. He stood on the truth. He shared the truth. You know, again, I, I hear people all the time going, you know, Pastor Mike, I mean, you know, uh, God just called us to love people. And I, and I teach on Wednesday mornings, I'm teaching through the seven churches in, in Revelation right now. And, and you think about this, the church at Ephesus, right? The church that Paul planted, and then he put Timothy as the leader of that church, and then John the Apostle. Would you believe that that church was pretty strong doctrinally? If Paul was your pastor, and then Timothy was your pastor, and then John the Apostle was your pastor, you go, yes. And guess what Jesus said? He said exactly the same thing. He said, man, you guys, and I'm paraphrasing, he goes, oh, you stood for truth. You hated liars. You, you stood on the word of God. He goes, but I have something against you. The church at Ephesus, he goes, you lost what? You're left your first love. Oh, you, you majored in doctrine, but you were lousy when it came to love. Well, last week we studied the church in Thyatira. Thyatira, again, God said, you're a great loving church, but that's all you do. And, and his, his, he still gave them an F, and you'd go, wait a second. Paul said, you know, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I mean, isn't it that we should just love people? And, and don't you hear that all the time now? Hey, just love people. Just love them. And, 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 and that, you know, that'll work out. And you go, no, if you read your Bible and you go, there's a condemnation to the church at Thyatira who did the exact same thing. They, they were great at loving people. They just didn't walk in truth. What they said was truth is relative. They were progressive, you might say. They'd fit right in today. Well, truth is what you say it is. No, that's not truth is what, what God says it is. And so here, here's where Daniel was at. Daniel shared the truth. And we know it from the stories, right? When it came to, you know, being put into a fiery furnace, why, why was he thrown into a fiery furnace to begin with? What, what did he fail to do? He wouldn't bow down, right? He wouldn't bow down to, to a statue. And, and in that, so again, what happens? They heat this thing up, like I said, seven times, seven times, because it was going to be torture. And you go, and then Again, thrown into a lion's den. Why is he thrown into a lion's den? Because he does bow down. You can't pray for 30 days. But what did he decide to do? I'm going to be true to my God. 
you know, and that's always the struggle that we have in society, right? You know, as, as, as the word of God, and we went through this in the book of Romans, you know, we're called to be good citizens until, until being a good citizen makes me a lousy Christian. And at that point, then you got to do what? You got to go with God. And Daniel always went with God, but he did it in humility. And it's, I think it's what's lacking much in our, our world today, because you look at churches that are thriving during this pandemic and this, and we're going to stand in the face of the government, you know, the things that are happening, you know, with all this going today, and we're just going to pound the face of the enemy here. And I can tell you, you go, it's, it's not a good fight. It's really, I think we're, we're barking up the wrong tree in, in many aspects. Uh, should we, you know, as Christians, are we called to vote? Absolutely. Should we be involved in the political process? Absolutely. 100%. Should we be trying to get you know, candidates that have a biblical worldview making decisions? Absolutely. Don't, don't miss what I'm saying here. I, I think you'll get it as, as we look at this. Look at verse 37. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is, he is able to humble the proud. How does he know that? He's been humble, right? I mean, when was the last time God humbled you and you were out standing in a field eating grass, you know, mooing like a cow? You know, you know, that's pretty humbling, right? It's exactly what happened. First Peter 5, 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. And again, you know, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, that Nebuchadnezzar didn't have a self-esteem problem. Anybody who builds a 90-foot statue to themselves probably feels pretty good about themselves, okay? And yet, you know, what does Daniel do in humility? Uh, he doesn't bow down to this thing. He stands up for God at that point, even knowing the consequences. But he, it's basically like what happened I, I shared with you during COVID. You know, Larry and Ron and I, we, we pray and we go, we, we don't see this in Scripture where we should close the church. But at the same time, we shouldn't try to do it you know, in the face of the government. What we did was we contacted our local authorities. I shared with you, you know, we wrote a letter to city council, to our police, to the sheriff. We basically said, you know what? Um, we, we can't go along with this, our governor's mandate, but we're not trying to you know, do this in secret. We, we want you to know, and we're willing to, whatever the consequences might be. And so we filled this out. We signed it. Like I told you, I put Larry's address down as my home address. That way, in case, I just had, a, I lacked a little faith, okay? You know, but uh, knowing Larry didn't, I knew that he would be okay with that. No, but it was, but, but it's one of those things, that's the right thing to do, right? That you go, we don't agree but we're not, we're not going to sneak around to do it. It's like, well, they just won't find out. Daniel had to stand up. Like I said, when he went home to pray, what happened? It says, you know, he could have prayed with his windows closed, but what did he do? He opens the windows, right, as he's accustomed. And you go, he's standing up for what he believes. He, it wasn't like he wasn't saying, hey, I'm just trying to get in your face, you know, and he didn't, this and this, and you'll see it as we walk along here. So down there in verse 19, skip down there, and it says, Again, so he shares, you know, with the the answer to this dream with the king, okay, and and it's not a good it's not a good answer. And you think about it, he doesn't try to change the truth, he doesn't try to doctor it. But look in verse nineteen. We'll read through verse twenty six. There he says, upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was also overcome for a time. He was overcome for a time. It says, frightened by the meaning of the dream. And then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replies, I wish, again, you see his heart here. You see the humility. 
I mean, some of us, you know, and you he talked to people in the church today, seeing the things that are going on in the world today, you know, with the LGBTQIT plus whatever oh, alphabet, you know, I don't even can't even, seriously, I can't, not even mocking it. I can't even keep up with it. It changes all the time. But you go, what is he doing? He's going, he, he's not going, ha ha, you know, you're going to get it now. You know, you're, you're going to be judged. It says, you know, it says he, he hears, he understands the dream. He says, I wish the events foreshadowed in the dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. That's the heart of God. God's not willing that any would perish. When you listen to the conversations we have, God, God strike them, strike them. And you go, man, for the grace of God, what? Go I. Go you. you know? And he says, verse 20, the tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great, and your greatness reaches up to the heavens, and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it. But, and here's where you see grace and you see mercy in this story. He says, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze, surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty and, and what the Most High has declared will happen to the Lord, my, my Lord, the King. You will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. Again, so he, he learns, you know, what this dream means. And, and he can tell just looking at Daniel's face, oh, this is not, not an, an, a good interpretation. And it says, you know, that da Daniel, he was appalled. He was overcome by it. He was emotionally, you know, he was, he was moved. And yet, and not in a way, like I said, that he's going, oh man, look at the king's going to get it. I mean, and, and I go back and I, like I said, I, I stand on this. I mean, I believe, you know, that, that the king tortured Daniel in order to make him one of his eunuchs. Obviously, you know, I mean, if you were a man and something like that to happen to you and you go, and you're called to love your enemies and, and you go, hmm, I mean, I, I, I think it's like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth at this point, right? And, and you go, but here's Daniel, his, he's got the heart of God. He's in tune with the heart of God. He's not wishing ill on this. I mean, on this king who is ruthless in, his, in, in how evil that he is. And it just demonstrates something, like I said, that you, you have to not miss as you study through this here. And so, again, um, <laughs> and you think about, you know, when a crazy man loses his mind, you could be fearful of that, too, that you go, oh, my gosh, what, what's going to happen, you know, in, in the world? as Daniel would know it, is this going to come back necessarily on him? And yet he, he says, you know, but I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, not to you. And though he's proclaiming judgment on the king through God's revelation, you know, in his life, 
He doesn't want these things to happen to him. It's the opposite of Jonah, right? What did Jonah want? Jonah, you know, Jonah so much, you know, hated the Ninevites. And, and, and oftentimes that's what gets in our heart. It wasn't that he just hated the sin of the Ninevites. Jonah hated the Ninevites. And, and again, God isn't hating the world. The Bible says for God, what? So love the world. Yeah. And what we hate sin, right? And so we get caught in this struggle. I get it. And, it, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a very difficult struggle that we find ourselves in. That's why I said studying Daniel's life is so good for us, because we see the similarities that we run into in our own life as well. So obviously, you can't miss this as you read this. What Had a relationship somehow developed between, between Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar? Absolutely. He trusted him. There was a trust that was developed there through Daniel's loyalty in the king's life, even when what? And you think about it, and I'm always reminded of the centurion at the foot of the cross. This is always the picture when I read this portion of the story that comes to my mind. Because remember the centurion, he saw the way that Jesus responded, right? He'd done all kinds of crucifixions. And he saw that when people were being you know, hurt, what did they do? Same thing when we get hurt. Somebody punches you, what do you normally do? You want to punch back, right? If you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. It's, we get the eye for an eye. But, but to be reviled and not to revile in return, that ministered to that. That, I mean, you got this rugged, hard, you know, callous centurion at the foot of the cross there. He looks at Jesus because of the compassion of Jesus, the humility of Jesus. And he goes, surely this is, this is God. This is the Son of God by the way that he responds. And so I look at that and I'm going, man, Daniel has that same kind of heart. And God wants to work that same kind of heart in me and you. And how's he going to do it? He's going to put you in difficult situations. Like I said, if you're going to pray for peace... How are you going to get peace? Like I said, it's not going to go, you know, you're going to go on a vacation somewhere and just, you know, get away from it all. You go, you wish that would be how God would do it, but he doesn't. He puts you in the middle of chaos, right? He puts you in the middle of Babylon, as it were, and then he becomes your peace. And that's what Daniel, you know, in the sense that what he's learning here, you know, and again, does any, any true servant ever, ever, you think about this, take pleasure in the judgment of unbelievers. And you go, no. I mean, we're not here in the sense to, you know, proclaim judgment or destruction, you know, with a smile. We, we are telling the world there is a judgment that's coming, but, it, but it's with a brokenness. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about this is when you think about, you know, in Matthew chapter 18, when it talks about going to someone who's in sin and how do we reach them? One of my favorite commentators Years and years ago, I remember when I read it for the first time, it really struck me how off we are when it comes to confrontation with regard to sin. Because it said, you're going to the person as if you were delivering the news that someone died. How would that change the way? See, most of the time, we feel okay when we go to confront somebody in their sin, right? Because usually when I'm confronting them in their sin, I'm not the one committing the sin, right? So you kind of feel like you got the upper hand. Well, that's not what God wants us to have at all. And we'll look at that, you know, momentarily here. But you think about that, that, you know, here's, here's Daniel. You know, he had, I mean, he was personally, you know, wounded, personally, you know, taken into captivity. Like I said, he's suffering for the sin really of other people. And yet he's there and he's doing the best that he can possibly do you know, in a situation like this. And he's not proclaiming this judgment with any sort 
of joy at all. It's a brokenness. It's a sorrow. That same sorrow that Jesus had himself when he looked out over Jerusalem and he wept because he realized that they had missed the hour of his visitation and that God would, again, of all the things that I could communicate to you in a time like this, you know, the age in which we live in is that, that God would keep us humble before an evil world, that we wouldn't forget that, yes, the end result for us, and this is what David, or excuse me, Daniel had his hope in, was that God was going to restore and that God is going to redeem and God is going to resurrect, right? We, we see that as we study the book of Daniel. But you, you look at this and you go, but then the flip side of it is you go, people are going to be separated for God, but from God for all eternity. People that you know, and for many in here, people that you love, that you would give your life for. Like Paul, you go, I would let my life be an anathema if they could get saved because you care about them so much. And there's nothing in that sense that you can do because it's not your burden to bear. And so here's Daniel, you know, loving them. And again, in verse 22, he says, that tree, your majesty, is you. I mean, imagine, imagine him saying that. It's like, okay. Then verse 23 goes on. He says, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. You go, you go, wow, pretty, pretty amazing. You know, we have a responsibility. Daniel had a responsibility. My question to you this morning to myself, are we responsible for people's response? Are we responsible for people's response? No. All we have to do is present to people. See, sometimes we feel like, oh, it's my job to win them. You go, no, your job is to share. Your job is to tell the truth. And then one of two things is going to happen in the heart of a person. It's the same thing that happened in all of our lives. You're going to either receive it or you're going to reject it, right? That, that's all. That, those are the only options there. You receive it. And if you do, like I said, Matthew 18, if someone hears, there's repentance. And guess what? Then there's restoration. Because think about the bottom line with this whole thing. It's always about restoration. Always about restoration. Jesus came, think of the word reconcile, to restore people back to God, was to reconcile us back to God. So if your goal, and think about this, with all the crazy things that are happening in our world today, if your motivation is not restoration, I can tell you, you're on the wrong path and you've got sucked into the wrong fight. And again, it doesn't mean that we don't make hard decisions. It doesn't mean that I think of, you know, with regard to cancel culture, I mean, the church is getting a little bit too involved with the concept of, you know, we get canceled. So we go, like I told you, it was like growing up playing sports, you know, we got spirit. Yes, we do. I used to love it, you know, and we'd go to the, the football game and our side of the stands, we're yelling at the other stand, right? But it was in fun, right? We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. What we say? More than yeah. you, right? And then they would do it louder. And then we'd look at each other and go, okay, come on. And you get more fans in, then you say it louder. And then if you, if you dominate them, then yeah, you know, we, we beat you. Well, I went to Highland. We didn't have that many fans. I mean, we got dominated in the, in the rally cry there. Just, just walk away, you know, you go, but in humility, like I said, we have an opportunity. Yes. We need to voice our positions. We need to contact businesses and owners and management and say, and, and clearly go as a Bible believing Christian, because I love God, I can't support this. And my prayers are for you. But you see some of the venomous things that Christians are doing. You go, it's so wrong. You know, we still are called of God to walk and exercise humility in these moments. And again, what a wonderful teaching you know, that we have 
in looking at, at Daniel's life. Verse 26 goes on, it says, but the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back when you have learned that heaven rules. So you think about our cancel culture, right? So the world used to cancel us, so the church is rallying, conservatives are rallying, and we're canceling everybody else out right now, right? And we're loving it, right? So we're going to yeah, look what we did, man. We, we got them, you know? And you go, I get that. And you go, but is that the heart of God? And those are just things that, like I said, to challenge us to think through and to pray through. Not, not the cause. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the motive and the attitude. Because Philippians 2 is a great study. You might write it down. Read it for yourself. Philippians 2, Jesus, though he was God, he's God. It says he didn't regard it equality. He said the thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself and he became a man. And he became a man to the point of death. He gave his life. I mean, he could have just walked in there and went, and just what? Annihilated everybody, right? But he willingly, he subjected himself to the cruelty of the cross for what purpose? To redeem, to restore, and to reconcile people back to God. Don't, don't lose sight of that in the midst of all this. Verse 27 goes on. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please, what does he say? Again, in humility, right? He's, he's got a message from God. He already knows what God's going to do, right? God's going to bring you down. Moo, 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 moo. You know, hey, you're going to, you know, I mean, just think about it. You're going to be out eating grass, king. What kind do you like? You start naming the different varieties, you know, that he had, right? He goes, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Isaiah 55, 7 puts it like this. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the God that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God that he would forgive generously. And you think about that. You know, Paul, you know, Galatians 6.1, he talks about, and it's the thing I want to really encourage you with as we just prepare to close here, is that in Galatians chapter 6, you might turn there with me, you know, Paul lays out this what I call, you know, compassionate confrontation. And this is what I think is needed right now, like never before in the history of the church, is compassionate confrontation. I don't want to be like the church at Ephesus that only has doctrine, but don't ha doesn't have love. And I don't want to be guilty like the church in Thyatira that be so major on love and just loving people that you just let truth go out the window, thinking that that's going to somehow reconcile people to God. Paul answers it, you know, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if any, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. It's rec reconciliation, restoration. He says, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. And so, you know, when you think about this, so important, you know, for us, to understand, and because what love, you know, we, we think about 1 Corinthians 13 and what love is, and I won't read that, but you know 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. You know, love, again, doesn't just give us the right, you know, like I said, to compassionately confront sin, but love also makes us responsible to compassionately confront people in their sin. Because love is always what? Love always is seeking a relationship. I mean, that, that's what the bottom line is. And again, and I love that, you know, you can just read it for yourself, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, 
really deals with that concept. You know, for God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. What's it about? Reconciliation. Being bought with a price back to God. And, and Daniel recognizes that. He wants nothing more than for King Nebuchadnezzar to repent and turn back to God that God could bless him. I, I want nothing more for you today, church, if you're not walking with God, than to repent and turn back to God that God could what? That he could bless you. Do you understand that God's a blessing God? When he's withholding a blessing, it's not many people go, does, you know, I, and I get this almost weekly. People go, Pastor Mike, you know, does God hate me? You know, he's not blessing me. And I go, no, he's a blessing God. If he's withholding something, it's only for your benefit. It's so that you don't harm yourself. You're, you don't turn from God. It's like David said, you know, don't make me so rich that I don't need you and don't make me so poor that, that I steal. You know, it's like, just, I want to be in the middle where I'm dependent upon you, God, that I, that I need you in my life. Verse 27, again, look at this. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar says, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. And again, as you, as you look at this, you know, again, Paul has, there's really just four simple things. Get this this morning. You know, you might write these down or lock them in, into your memory. These are the conditions for compassionate, uh, confrontation. If you're really truly going to be used of God to compassionately confront, and that's really the life that we've been called to, and especially at this point in human history. The first condition that you see there in Galatians 6.1 is it starts with a right relationship. And that's really twofold. One, that you have to have a right relationship with God. That Again, unless you're born again, you know, you're not born of the Spirit. There's no way that you can walk in the Spirit. There's no way that you could ever represent God. So unless someone is truly born again, they can never, ever, ever compassionately confront another person in their sin. And yet that's what the world you know, gets frustrated with all the time with the church. They go, oh, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites, right? Well, in the true sense, we are hypocrites. That's why we, we turn to Jesus, amen? You know, I'm not who I claim to be. We always claim to be better than what we were. It's until we recognize that I'm a sinner and that Jesus is the only perfect one and he's my savior that you come to him and you find new life and whole life in him. The second part of that, you know, when you think about, you know, uh, this first condition of a right relationship is Daniel had a relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar, and he had a king a relationship with King Darius as well, is that it starts from a relationship. I mean, if you don't know somebody, and all of a sudden they, they start coming up into your face, your first thing is like, who are you, right? Jesus said what? They'll know you by what? Your love. Your love. By this, all men, he said, will know you're my disciples because of your love one for another. People can tell if you love them or don't love them. The second condition is you have the right motive. Look what it says there in Galatians 6.1. You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Think about that. So I think it's probably one of the, if, if you don't hear anything else, for some of you, this is what you need to hear today. The right motive. Yo, man, you are, you are Ephesus all the way through. You got doctrine down. I mean, man, but your motive, it's not for restoration and reconciliation. It's wanting a pound of flesh. And that's not even the heart of God. And yet there's a balance there. But your motive, like I said, your, your goal is restoration. It's to get the person on the right path. And, and man, uh, that should, I hope, speak to all of us today. The third condition is the right attitude. He says, you who are godly should gently and humbly, that our attitude, having the same attitude that was in Jesus as being humble. 
help that person get on the right path. And you go, why? Because we were all on the wrong path. Somebody loved us enough to tell us the truth. Amen. And they didn't give up on us. I mean, I don't know where, did you give your life to the Lord the very first time somebody shared Jesus with you? Hey, that sounds great to me. Or did you fight it a little bit like I did or fight it a lot for a lot of years? And you find yourself eating grass or dirt, you know, worse than that. Crow. Have you ever had crow before? Terrible. The fourth condition, and this is an important one, the right safeguard. What do you mean the right safeguard? It says in Galatians 6.1, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Not to fall into the temptation, same temptation yourself. You go in with this, this knowledge. You know what? For the grace of God, go I. Have you ever been sharing with somebody? And you're sharing and you go, man, I, in a different way, I'm kind of dealing with the same thing that I'm talking to this person about. And you go, yeah. And, you, and at the moment you go, man, I feel like a hypocrite. Well, it's a really a good thing at that point then to stop and go, you know what? I kind of feel like a hypocrite because, hey, this area of my life, you know, God's speaking to me about this. And guess what that usually does to people? God resists the proud and he goes, what? Grace to the humble. That usually what? It draws people in. They go, really? They go, wow, I wouldn't have thought that. And you go, I wouldn't have hoped that either, but it's true. But you know what? What does it make me do? Where sin abounds, what? Grace does all the more. It sure makes me appreciate the goodness and the grace and the mercy of our God. Amen. And so you think about this. I mean, uh, and I, I love this. I, I don't want to miss this. I got to tell you this story. Um, Skip Heitzig told this story. He said of an old Swiss evangelist um, by the name of, of Caesar Malin. And, and Caesar was on a, on a train and he approaches this woman and he says to this woman, you know, he does it forthrightly, but he does it gently. He says, I hope that you're a saved woman and I hope that you're going to heaven. And she looked at him and you could tell that she was, she was ticked. She was offended by what he said and she definitely resisted. She, didn't, she wasn't receptive to it at all. And she didn't want to talk to him anymore. She just kind of turned the other way. And so he says to her again, he says, I mean you no offense. I just want to make sure you're going to heaven. And he kind of left it at that. And it says, then three weeks later, the young lady found that he was an evangelist and she came to him and she said, I couldn't get that conversation out of my mind. And ever since then, I've been trying to get to Christ. What must I do? And so he leads her to Jesus. And he says, but he was, it's not on your own merit. You come as you are. And that's what he shared with her, right? And out of that experience, you know, you, you might know who she is or heard this name before, Charlotte Elliott. And she wrote the song, Just As I Am, Without One Plea, But That Thy Blood Was Shed For Me, And That Thou Biddest Me To Come To Thee, O Lamb Of God I Come. The, the song that Billy Graham uses, you know, or used at all of his crusades. And it, it stemmed out of a, a conversation where somebody was willing to compassionately confront. And I just find that the church today is going, you know, so I'm not an evangelist. God hasn't called me to do that. But man, he has placed people. I mean, Daniel was serving the king. That was his job, right? I mean, and he wasn't an easy king to work for, you know, Nebuchadnezzar nor King Darius. But he did it humbly, right? And he did it hopefully. And he did it, you know, with, with tremendous humility and wisdom. And with that, then God gave him, and again, I love this as it rolls out. He gave him, you know, confidence. He gave him credibility. And it really opened up his perspective on how he saw life. And it's the things that I think that you and I, you know, want for our lives as well. And so you, you can read through the, you know, the rest of it there. You know, verse 28, it says, Daniel 4, it says, All this, that is all that Daniel said, came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar 
At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. And you go, why did God wait 12 months? And it's such an important point because God is merciful. God is merciful. You know, that God would make you and I merciful because we look at the things that are going on in the world today. And man, even as Christians, we, it's so easy for us. We want a pound of flesh. And you know what? Jesus gave that pound of flesh. And ultimately it did. You read the rest of the story. And right after that, what happened? 12 months later, Nebuchadnezzar's looking out over everything that he built. And he built a, a miraculous city. And in that miraculous city that he built, he's like, I did, I did, I will. The spirit of Babylon, right? Not that look what God has done or look what God has blessed me with. Look what, you know, God this, God. No, it was I did this, I did this, I did this. And the next thing you know, he's in a field eating grass. Until what? Until he comes to his senses. And when he comes to his senses, you know, like I said, we, we read the rest of that. And as you look at it, you know, it's pretty, pretty fascinating. He says in verse 34, and after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned. I can tell you today, you might be going crazy today because of the sin that's in your life and, and running from God. And you feel like you're out there eating grass. Like you said, you feel like a cow just, you know, going, you're not where you need to be or where you're supposed to be. He says, but my sanity returned when he repented. You can turn back to God. This is the beauty of this story. He says, and I praised and I worshiped the Most High, and I honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everything, and his kingdom is eternal. And it says, and then all the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. See, God isn't trying to take something from you. It's when we try to replace God with something else. God takes that from us because it would kill us. The only thing that gives life is the things of God. Amen. God himself. He says, and so he says, and I was restored as head of my kingdom. See, many people forget this with Nebuchadnezzar, right? We hear the story, but you know, God restored him. And he said, and he restored him with even more honor. It says in verse 36, then before, it says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. You know, Jesus said the exact same thing. For those who what, exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, it's why, and we're here today, and we go, Lord, you know, you know, what does God love? He loves mercy to do justly and to walk humbly with God. You know, pride is never, ever, ever a good thing, okay? You know, and, and we need to remember that. And so we need to pray for opportunities, you know, and I love, as some churches have done, they've taken pride and they've talked about all the negative aspects, you know, in, in Scripture. So it brings it out so people can what? And people go, well, that, that's, you're, you're, you're mocking that. You go, no, you share the truth in love. Now, it will go after what is my motive and what is my attitude. And you go, and that's what happens. So again, that's why I love studying the churches in Revelation, because it's easy for us to, oh yeah, we got truth. I'm the church at Ephesus. Yeah. Oh man, I got great doctrine. But Jesus goes, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. And it's easy to do when you get mad at people, right? When, when things aren't going the way that we would hope that they go. But I also don't want to be, like I said, like the church in Thyatira. I don't want to be the church that goes, oh, I just love people. I, I just, the most important thing is to love and to accept, you know. 
not to not to you know ruffle feathers or anything else and you go no because that'd be a lie because why because the bible is explicitly clear it is appointed a man to die and then what judgment and to know that you have the cure for judgment in the person of jesus christ and to withhold that from other people shame on me shame on you so we have a job right and to hold it hold it you know so dear and we go god thank you for such a time as this like Esther. I mean, we're alive today for a reason, and, and it's to make a difference in the world. And so when you think about biblical humility, is just lock this in. Biblical humility, as I started the service, you know, I end with it the same way. As you go, think about what does it mean to be humble? It means to put other people in front of yourself. Who did that best in this life? Jesus. And he's calling us to do the same thing. And is it hard when you face situations like this? And you go, yeah, it's easy to love people that love you back. But he said, but love your what? Enemies. And do good to those who what? Who persecute you, right? And you think about all the things we face today. And so we're going, no, no, we're going to rally. You know, it's, you know, I, we got, you know, cancel culture. Yes, we do. We got canceled more than you. That we would love Jesus. And his love would shine through us to the point that the world sees it. And it's like that, that soldier at the foot of the cross that goes, surely this is the Son of God. How are they going to see it? Well, it's when we suffer, right? We go through trials, right? Trials give birth to what? What did we share last week? Perseverance, right? Endurance that brings about hope you know, that God would, God would have his way. But we got to let him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this study, thriving in Babylon. It's just, it's convicted my own heart and challenged me to, to rethink the things that, Lord, I thought maybe I was so sure of. But Lord, to know that, God, you're calling us to live a life of balance, that we'd balance the, the truth and balance it through love. And God, we wouldn't get so far one way or the other that uh, lord we cancel the other out we, we we get it we live in a world that wants to cancel everything and so lord we pray lord we pray that like daniel that god you would help us to stand up for truth and in truth because lord that we prefer other people over ourselves that we wouldn't try to protect ourselves i wouldn't look at it and go oh, you know oh this 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 what's it going to cost me if i do this but that lord that we know that you are sovereign that you're in control that, God, you take care of us just like you took care of Nebuchadnezzar. You took him down, you raised him up. Lord, you've done the same thing in our life, and you, you promised to protect us, to provide for us, to care for us, to love us. You said nothing could separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to live our lives this way. Help us to be people of prayer. Lord, one of the things I know my own life is how little I, I pray according to your will. I pray for my stuff. I pray for my needs. But just to sit before you and say, Lord, hallowed be your name, and just to recognize you for who you are and to love you for who you are, regardless of anything that you would ever do. God, help us to be people who seek you this week, who love you, because, Lord, we seek you with all of our heart. And God, thank you. Thank you for even in our failures, Lord. Thank you for loving us like you do. You are so good, so merciful, so kind. Be glorified this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I invite you to stand to your feet. We'll send you out with a song, and it's a wonderful exit song today. And so 
just enjoy this worship song before you go. All kinds of things to get your attention later on, but just, just enjoy this moment with Jesus.